All right, the rest of us, Acts chapter 16. If you remember, we've been going through the book of Acts, got to chapter 15, finished it, and went to the book of Galatians. And so if you go to that timeline, Steve, uh, the first slide, it's really hard to see, but it's there. And that's kind of the timeline. And so basically, we're right in the orange there. Uh, Paul's going to, he finished his first missionary journey. He went through the area of Galatia. Uh, and now he's going to start his second missionary journey, if you can go to the next uh, slide there. And so here's a little picture of the Mediterranean. On the bottom right is Jerusalem, far down. This is Palestine there. And uh, so Paul's going to make his way up and go on into Turkey. It's all these places we'll be talking about, and I might have you refer to that from time to time, uh, just so we can see what we're talking about. But um, that's what's going on. And so we're going to pick up some, it's kind of like the Lord of the Rings. He's picking up his different people as he goes and <laughs> and for his journey, and God's going to do amazing things. And so I think it's always important to kind of give you a geographical understanding of what's going on. Um, they'll be talking about, hey, he couldn't go to Asia. The Holy Spirit wouldn't let him go to Asia. Well, that's south. We think of Asia as like India and, um, you know, Southeast Asia. No, this is kind of what it was known as in the world. In other words, modern-day Turkey, uh, Southeast Turkey, where Ephesus, basically the seven churches of Revelation are. God said he couldn't go. And he tried to go north, and they wouldn't let him go to Bithynia. The Lord wouldn't let him do that, and so he had to go on to Troas and then Philippi on the top, and he's making his way around Greece there and coming back around. And so that's kind of uh, where he's journeying. And if you have a study Bible, you'll have these maps, Paul's first, second, third journey in the back of your study Bible or in your regular Bible. Probably not the ones we have here in the church. Um, So I'd encourage you to do that. I always love geography. I love to see where he was. You know, when we went to Jerusalem, it was, ah, to drive where Jesus walked. It was awesome. You know, and we're just driving by, you know. Like, why take you so long, Jesus? Yeah. Okay, so just flip back to chapter 15. Don't worry about uh, going there, Steve, yet. We'll pick up in 16 seconds. But at the end of chapter 15, you remember... Paul had a disagreement with uh, Barnabas, his dear friend who went on that first missionary journey with him. And in verse 39, says they had such a sharp disagreement about Barnabas' nephew, Mark, going with them on, on this next journey that they departed, they parted company. When Christians don't see eye to eye, they went their separate ways. That's, it, it happens um, Paul had something in mind. Barnabas had something in mind. They kept those things in their mind, and they went forward. And it would seem here that Paul was probably the one uh, that was right because we read on, and it says in verse 40, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. So Paul left commended, but Barnabas left. And sometimes that happens. And we don't read about Barnabas really again in the book of Acts. It says he went through Syria and Cilicia, and so that map, he's kind of cruising up there, up the coast there, see that? And he went strengthening the churches. Churches had already been planted, and so what happens when churches are here? They need to be strengthened. And so keep that in mind, that 
we tend to go, okay, well, church, have fun. We actually need to be in, involved in discipling, involved in strengthening the church, looking at areas of weakness within ourselves, within the body of Christ, and going, Lord, not how can I fix it, but what are you, what are you doing? What does your word say? What would the Spirit say in this situation? Again, Galatians chapter 6, going and restoring gently. First uh, Timothy 3.16 or Second Timothy 3.16, the word of God is profitable for all these things, correcting, rebuking, exhorting, and building up, you know? And so that is, there's a major ministry within the church, encouragement, discipline, like a family, like a family. We encourage one another. We discipline one another. We invest in one another. And Paul is just, that's what his heart was. He was constantly looking at all these churches, and he's saying, oh, there's a weakness here. I've got to write a letter to him. And so the New Testament is written, oh, there's an encouragement I wish to give them, a spiritual gift I wish they had for the circumstance. Oh, you know, and he just longed to edify them and build them up. The love of God was overflowing in his heart. And so that's his desire in the second missionary journey. It's been probably five years, they say. It's hard to tell. It's hard to gauge. But most people are guessing it's been five years since he went that first time around. What were you doing five years ago? How was your walk with the Lord five years ago? What things have crept into your theology? What things have crept into your life? How's your marriage doing? How are you guys doing in love? What are your focuses? A lot can happen in the life of a church, in the life of a family in five years, and Paul is very concerned. He wants to go back. And so he's going to go back, and he takes Silas. And he was committed by the believers, and he went through strengthening the churches. Chapter 16, verse 1. And Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra. And Derby and Lystra, if you remember uh, in Acts before, Acts 14, I think it was, Paul came to Lystra, and that's when he and Barnabas were declared gods because they healed a sick person. Remember that? They said, oh, yeah, Paul, you are Zeus. And uh, well, Hermes, I think, is what they called him, and they called uh, 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 Barnabas Zeus. And they started to sacrifice things to them and worship them, and they just pleaded, no, don't do that, don't do that. This is not what we're looking for. And then the other Jews came and overnight and switched their mind, and they ended up stoning Paul. And Paul laid there, dying, dead, and then the disciples came around him. I mentioned this last week, and he was raised up, and he went back into the city the next day, preached, and then left. And so he's going back into the city. Can you imagine going back to the city where you were uh, hated, where people wanted to kill you, where a mob rose up and threw rocks at you? Why would you do such a thing? Because you have the cross on your mind. You have the cross in your heart. You care more about... Uh, the lives of these people than you do your own life. And this is what Paul would preach over and over and over again. I count my life as nothing but only the cross. So that was his heart. And so he's there, and we're in, in the city, Derby and Lystra, where a man, I'm sorry, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, and whose father was a Greek. And so now we pick up Timothy. First, second Timothy was written to him. Timothy is incredibly precious to Paul. And we think, uh, we, meaning me and some other people, think that this is probably um, when 
Timothy was converted when, he, when Paul first had that first missionary journey there. And it was probably Paul's stoning and conversion and his time there, um, I mean, his, the miraculous recovery and all this stuff that, that spurred Timothy's faith coming to the Lord mixed with his mom and his grandmother, which is talked about in, in Timothy. But he, he came to the Lord there, is, is, is our guess. And it says that his mother was Jewish and his father was a Greek. Love happens. <laughs> People like each other from different backgrounds. Now, in Jerusalem, this is just not happening. The further away you get from headquarters, it seems like there's, uh, you know, some compromises being made. And so a Jewish woman marrying a Greek. And it says, the, uh, it says in here, it says, the believers at Lystra and Iconium, they spoke well of Timothy. They spoke well of Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, Paul is talking to him and he says, hey, if anybody's going to serve as an elder, here's the qualifications. But then he goes, if anybody's going to serve as a deacon, which means a servant, if you're going to serve in the church, either in a leadership capacity or, or serving, in, these are the qualifications. And he says, let not a novice serve in a position of leadership. A novice, a new believer. Let them be tested first, and if they are approved, then they can go ahead and serve in that capacity. And he's saying that is very important because when you serve the Lord, you're representing Christ. When you serve the Lord and you start to decide to fold bulletins or do whatever you're going to do, guess what? Spiritual warfare is on your horizon, no matter how minor and the Lord would seek to take your walk and he would take you to, uh, to uh, blaspheme the name of Christ and live a sinful way and live this hypocrisy and we've all experienced that one time or another. He's saying, let, let not that be the standard. Let him be tested first. And how do you know? Well, who are the people they around? Who are the people in his life? And that's what they said. Timothy, Paul doesn't know Timothy very well, but he likes him. He's connected to him. His heart is connected somehow in ministry to him. And guess what? He goes, hey, how... I want to bring this guy along with me. What's he like? And what did they say? They, they spoke well of him. They approved him. Hey, he's, he's who he is. And so that's, a, that's the beginning of an awesome relationship that will go on and on. And it says, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, verse 3, and so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. We just got done with Galatians. And Paul says, and he just like, he is cutting these people down who are teaching that circumcision is necessary for salvation. And he is just, the whole book, he's going crazy on them. And then here we are. What does he do? He goes, and goes to Timothy and circumcises him. <laughs> like, okay, great, Paul, what's going on here? And as we talked about, the motive, I think here, was the gospel. The motive was love. What stands in between me and the message? What stands in between Timothy being an effective minister uh, to the communities in? He's gonna, he had a mother who was Jewish and a father who was Greek. The Greeks, they worshipped the body. You know they had the Olympics and everybody ran around naked, right? That's, what they, that's how they did that. They just worshipped the human form. And so circumcision was something that was totally uh, anathema to them. No, ugh, you know? And the Jews, 
They had to do this as a covenant. And so what would happen is Paul is accustomed when he went into the cities, what would happen? The first place he would go is into the synagogue. And a major stumbling block for these Jews would be to have a person of a Jew, Jewish heritage, who wasn't circumcised. They're going, what's going on there? And so to get it out of the way, to let it go, he decided to be a vegetarian. He decided to circumcise himself. He decided to be all things to all people. It wasn't a matter of salvation. It was a matter of love and getting the gospel. And so the question is, what do I need to cut away (laughs) in order to reach the community around me? Is there something in my life that I hold to as something as my heritage or my right or whatever it might be that really God says it makes no difference? It makes no difference. You're free to give it up. You're free to lay it down so love would go forward. You're free to do those things. So think about those things in your life. Timothy, this is an obviously an extreme example. But what? what? What about your life? What about your neighbors? What about the things? Perhaps you don't mow your lawn on Saturday when they're next door. Or perhaps you are, you know, you're not going to um, eat certain things. Or perhaps you are, uh, you know, you're going to give up certain things activities or you're going to start doing certain things that you normally wouldn't do just because other people like them. You might be able to build a bridge that way. You know what I'm saying? There's so many opportunities to look at this, and I don't want to just look at it as religious, but that's the main context here. Eating, not eating, circumcision, the law, that type of stuff. How are you going to reach people? And all these people are religious. They're either worshiping idols or they're worshiping uh, you know, under the old Jewish system. Most of the people in the world, by the way, are religious. Did you know that? One way or the other, one depth or the other, either super, super like religious or kind of religious. Everybody has some kind of in atheism. I know it's there, but it's really minute. It's growing, but it's minute. It's, everybody's religious that they're reaching. And so Timothy, he's circumcised. And as they traveled from town to town, verse 4, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Flip back to uh, Acts chapter 15. We had the situation to where people were teaching. They they had to obey the customs. And then James comes and says uh, at the end of it, uh, the apostles and the elders, they wrote a letter to the churches in verse uh, 23, it says, with them they sent the following letter. The apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they would said. And so we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you, our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we are sending, uh, and therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth uh, what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You're not here to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood. From the meat strangled animals and from sexual morality, you'll do well to avoid all things. Take care. And so that is what they were doing. Paul and Silas, Barnabas is out of the mix. Silas was still one of the people called to go do that. They went together. They're not out rogue 
evangelism. They're connected to leadership. They're under authority. We're always under authority somewhere. They're going out and they're just doing what, what the Lord had directed them through the leadership in the church. I love that model. I love it when it works right. Amen. <laughs> and, and, here, and here they are, the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding them. And as they're there, they, re, they gave the decisions and notice the result is for people to obey at the end of verse 4. And what happens when people obey what God would have them to do? So the churches were strengthened in faith and they grew in numbers. I think a huge part of our obstacle to overcome as Christians in this church is obeying Jesus Christ, obeying his commandments. Isn't that what it is? And when we begin to obey Jesus Christ, when we're in that love relationship and we say, yes, I choose to follow you. I choose to deny myself, pick up my cross, follow you. I choose to listen to what you have to say. I choose to listen to your spirit. When you begin to obey the Lord, you're strengthened. You're strengthened in your soul. You're strengthened in your inner man. You're not so torn by the circumstances around you. You're not so beaten to the left and to the right, but you are a rock. You're standing upon the rock. This morning, I know several of you are in trials, and it is amazing to see how different people react in different trials, and I see the backgrounds, and I see people who are people of the word and who love the Lord, and how they react to trials, and I see people who are not, and are fed into themselves flesh, and what happens all over the place. And it's not, you know, it's not a, you know, a knock. I mean, we've all get there one place or the other, but the Lord wants you to be on the rock. If you hear my words and put them into practice, you will be like what? A person who built their house on the rock. And guess what? Guaranteed, 100% of you will experience storms that will be able to knock down your house. And what are you standing on? And Jesus says, stand on my word. Stand on what I have said. Meditate on it day and night. Put the roots deep down. You'll have fruit in due season. And so we're to be a people who are firmly rooted into the words of Jesus. When you are running into something at work, what kind of wisdom are you seeking? When I'm running into something with you, what kind of wisdom am I seeking? How would you like if I was Googling Dr. Phil to find out what to do with you? Well, here, you just, you know, I mean, there's a spiritual dynamic. There's a spiritual dynamic. And like I was talking about with medication, we're so quickly to run to medication. I praise God for medication. I praise God for eyeglasses. I praise God for doctors. Don't get me wrong. Prayer don't work. Take a pill. I, I totally get it, right? Aspirin. I praise the Lord. Sav. All these things that the Bible talks about. But we're so quick to just not seek the Lord. What do you say about this, Lord? Is there pain and anguish in my soul because you're trying to speak to me? 
You're trying to wake up something. You're trying to get me to seek you. Because when I read Genesis and I see that pain comes into people's lives through sin, I see people starting to hide and cover their own sin and relationships are broken. So when I see relationships broken, I see people hiding, not coming to church. What do I think is going on? Something's going on. Your relationship with the Lord is messed up, right? And I know this all too well in my own life. And so having that biblical wisdom to go to Scripture and say, Jesus, what did you do? What does your word say about this circumstance? Let me sit on, 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 on your principles, on the rock. And when the winds come and they blow and they will, and they are, you'll stand firm. You might get hurt and you might go left or right, but, you know, but you're there. You know that you know that you know in the end. What he says will come about, and your soul is anchored. It's that armor. It's that shield. It's that helmet. We need it. Obey. So the churches were strengthened, and they grew daily in numbers. And you know that obedience is a choice, but it's also a response. I love, like when I was talking about the men's thing, guys, come on, you know. They let the women run the church. I didn't mean like that way. I mean, I was just saying that all the women are doing the ministry. Are they not? They're awesome. Look at them. They're just blessed by God, empowered by God, getting slaughtered by the enemy. You know, they work all day too, do they not? Anyone? Yeah, they do. And I don't want their job. Love you, honey. (laughs) But we need to prioritize things. We need to be obedient to the call. And so sometimes it's about going, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and cut off the flesh and go to a Wednesday night study or I'm going to get together with some guys during the week and pray or whatever it might be. And I realize things are going on in your lives. But pray about it. Don't just immediately check it off. I can't do that because I got... Oh, really? What if I didn't show up on Sunday for 50% of the time? I'd be fired, but I mean, <laughs> that's, that's good, but that's not my motivation. It makes a difference. I've thought about it. I was talking to the elders, you know, I was going, what if I just did like a Sunday where I just didn't show up? And it's like, everybody gets here and they're like, ah. And God, I know God would do an awesome thing. I couldn't make it. Didn't feel like it today. I'm not putting a trip on there, but I know what goes on 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 that side. I've been there, and I am there. So I just, man, I want the church to be strengthened. And how do we get strengthened? Hanging out with each other. You're it. God has put you in a new family. You've been bought. With the blood of Jesus Christ, you've been placed in a family. If it wasn't for the body of Christ, I wouldn't know who I was. I wouldn't have strength. My mom texted me this morning and said, praying for you. You know, regardless, she's in the Lord. She's praying for me. My wife and my kids, they pray for me every week driving to church. They pray for me all the time. I need it. There's things you're going through. We need to pray for each other. And I praise God for the opportunities we do. Get in. Love deeply. Let the other things fall to the side. God will work out your schedules. 
to work out all the other things that you think are important. Put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's not going to be a big cloud session for the whole time, but he'll work it out. Go to work faithfully. Get home, love your wife, take care of your kids, you know, do, you know, spend time with them, do sports, do all that stuff, but put God first. Amen? Obey, and, and, and we'll, be grow, we'll be strengthened, not only in our faith, but in numbers. God wants numbers. I want numbers too, not so we can go, oh, look at what we've done, but I want people to come to the Lord and go, to go out. It'd be great if we started 20 churches in Walla Walla and Tushi and wherever else. People who just love each other and just go. God might be calling you to go to the other side of the world. I know some of you are going, I'd like to send them. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> but he might be calling you. You know, he might be calling you to step out. Every year, Christine and I would, when we were first married, and this has kind of faded away, but would you, we'd ask each other the question, would you sell it all and would you go? Would you sell it all? Would you go? We'd ask each other that year, and every, we haven't asked that for a while. But it's good. Am I willing to leave everything for the gospel? And I'm thinking the big things. You know, we moved our family up here and all those types of things, steps of faith on both sides, awesome stuff. Courageous decisions on both your part and God working through us. Love it. Nothing like it. But am I willing to die to go meet someone's need this week? That's where it comes down. Start with the, just the practical the Lord working through you. And when you don't have the strength, when you don't have the supply, you step out in faith and God will provide it. He doesn't, you know, with, with, the, with the walk we're in, we're not in parting the Red Sea and walking through. We're in the priest part, the second one, where they step out and then the, 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 the waters stop. We're in the walk of faith. Jesus has already provided the big way. Now we walk in the Spirit. But he goes on, he says in Paul, verse 6, I don't know how far we're getting. He goes, Paul and his companions travel through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, so they're keeping going up, right? They're kind of going that way in Turkey. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. They weren't allowed to go south. The Holy Spirit kept someone from preaching. I thought that's what I was called to do, Paul might have said. And, the, and there's a lot of speculation about what was going on with Paul. Why was he kept? How was he kept? Some people think it might have been uh, prophecy. We see uh, Agabus and other people like that who were just saying, hey, do you go this way, go that way, and then the Lord would lead to that. But it might have been sickness. It might have been weakness. And I'll tell you why in a little bit why I think that. But he was kept by the Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. This is when they came to the border of uh, Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. And so they couldn't go south. Now they wanted to go north, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. Hold on for a second here. So we got the Holy Spirit kept him from preaching, and then the Spirit of Jesus. Those are two different spirits? No, they are not. You got the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ. Pretty cool. So they couldn't go north. And so they passed by Mysia and they went down to Troas. Not 
their first choice. Could you pop up the map? There they are. Troas in the top left there. So you see it says Bithynia and Asia. They're cruising up. They couldn't go south. They couldn't go north. And so they went on to Troas. How many of you had that? Wanted to go left, couldn't go left, thought you were in God's will. Wanted to go right, couldn't go right. So you had to press on straight ahead. Great, third choice, Lord. Really not enjoying this right now. The Lord wouldn't allow them to go either way. Why is that? And so they passed by Mysia and they went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision from a man of Macedonia. That's up in Greece. Standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Isn't that the cry of the world? And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So you have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, saying no. You have the Spirit of Jesus saying no, and you have say, God saying, go this way. Really interesting, the Holy Spirit and the Trinity kind of popped in there. Notice the personal pronouns change from they to we. You ever notice that? They, they, they went, they went, they went, then all of a sudden we went. We, we picked up another passenger. Who did we pick up? Who is we? His name would be Luke, and he was a doctor, a physician. This is why many people think, myself included, that Paul needed some help. Paul was hurting probably pretty good in his body while he was out ministering, and now he had a physician along with him. How many of you have been trying to do what the Lord wants and you keep getting smacked left and right and left and right? God knows and he sees. He might not be allowing you to do certain things right now. It's for a reason. It's for a purpose. I've experienced this in my life when I try to make things happen. When I try to make things happen. I am going to buy that thing. And it just doesn't seem to come about. There's a struggle inside. When I experience that, that's a check on my heart to say, hold on, stop, think, sleep on it, pray about it. Trying to make relationships work that are ungodly and there's an incompatibility in your soul. It's a lot of practical applications. But they pick him up and they left immediately at once. When God speaks, it's time to go. God guides us through hindrances. Did you know that? God guides us through closed doors. That's a difficult thing, especially when you're a Paul type A. You think, you type A's out there, anybody? The rest of you, God can go, hey, why don't you not do that? And you just have a sensitivity in your spirit. You're like, yeah. Paul probably needed some serious intervention at times, my guess would be. Needed to have a doctor on staff. You know, that's what I'm saying. Pain is sometimes an indicator of God speaking to you can be. Listen up. 
you might be leading you through it. It says, from Troas, we, Luke, put out to sea and sailed straight from Simrathrace, whatever that is, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. And from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city in the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. And so they had a vision, they went, and nothing's happening. They're hanging out for several days. And on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. So Paul's custom, walk into a city, walk into the synagogue. No synagogue. He goes to the place of a river, which was Jewish custom, okay? If you didn't have 10 men in a city, you couldn't have a synagogue. And so what would happen is the women or the other families would go out to the river and they would pray. And so Paul's going out there to find out where the Jewish believers are. And it was on the Sabbath, he went outside the city gate to the river where he expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who had been gathered there. Once again, who are the only people at church that weekend? The women. Verse 14. One of those listening... (laughs) Come on, I'm giving you a hard time, guys. One of those... Can you take it? Uh, One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. You're like, okay, what's the significance of that? Purple was a sign of royalty. It was very difficult to make. They'd have to go get these sea slugs, and they cut them open, and they bleed them, and then the blood would be what they would use to make the dye. How many snails does it take to make a robe? It's probably an Old Testament joke. I mean, a New Testament joke. <laughs> well, what happened? So she was a very important businesswoman. Very important. And notice her sales skills here in just a minute. It says, verse 14, one of those listening was a woman from the city. We already read that, case. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. How many of you got nervous about when you share the gospel with people? Who opens their hearts? Circle it, underline it, star it, tattoo it if you need to, whatever you need to do. The Lord opens their hearts. It's him who saves. It's him who opens hearts. And he opened their heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she heard, I'm uh, sorry, when she and her members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me, now here's her sales skills. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay with me at my house. And she persuaded us. Notice over and over and over and over again, when people get saved, all of a sudden there's this hospitality happening in their hearts, and they invite people in their lives. It's just there, and I need to conform to it. We need to conform to it. It's just awesome. And she persuaded us. Once we, verse 16, once we were going to the place of prayer, so they made that a regular thing, right? Going to a place of prayer out there by the river, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She was a slave physically, and she was a slave spiritually. And she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. And she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed And that word is vexed, grieved. It's not just like, come on, but what is he annoyed at? He became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the girl, 
said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. It reminds me of Jesus with the demoniacs running around naked, possessed. He heals them, they're in the right mind. Well, the, well, the demons had a conversation with Jesus, right? He said, please, you know, you are son of the most high God. Don't torture us before it's time. Please let us stay around here. He sent them into the pigs, they ran off. The demons have a recognition of God. They have a recognition of who he w- it was. And Paul, finally discerning and given the power of the Holy Spirit, said, come out of them. And notice when the Spirit of Christ says, come out to the spirits of evil, what happens? Think of those people that really annoy us. Begin to ask for discernment. Ask for prayer. It might take a few days. What's really going on? What really needs to be addressed? Is it spiritual? Could be. Come out. At that moment, the spirit left her. And when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragging them into the marketplace to face the authorities. These guys did not care about this woman. The exploitation of women has been happening for, since the beginning of time. They didn't care about her. They cared about what she could make for them. And there are women who are in bondage today in darkness and all these types of things. And Jesus has come to set them free. He sets women free. Jesus sets women free. And people, they mock Jesus. They talk about, you know, oh, that's archaic and all this stuff. People don't realize the bondage we're in as a society. Jesus has come to set them free in their spirit and their soul to make them a new creation, to wash them and give them the true purpose of which they've called not to be an object to make money for greedy men, but to be, son, to be daughters of the living God and to shine his glory and to reflect that beautiful relationship. These guys were, were upset. And what happens when people are upset, when God breaks into people's lives and people are get saved and then the community is affected around them and they no longer make money, what happens? Persecution. Oh, may it be so in Walla Walla. The gospel goes forward and people are freed so much that they want to take us into the streets and mess us up because Jesus is doing such a great thing. I pray we make evil people bankrupt. (laughs) You know? The things we feed. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews, and so we have this instant racial profiling. And they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. We don't worship that God. These Jews came up. And the crowd joined and attacked against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. The first of three times here that Paul would experience this. Many other things as we read. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas, what were they doing? They were praying and singing hymns to God. 
And the other prisoners were listening to them. I don't know about you, but getting beaten with rods and having your back ripped open. How many of you are having back pain? Yeah. Here Paul is sitting in a situation. He's in a dark cell. He's probably not getting comfortable. He's in stocks. They're hurting pretty darn badly. And what happens? They start singing and they start praying. I think this is a word for us today. People are watching you in your suffering. People are listening. What's coming out? What's coming out? Gethsemane, as I talked about Wednesday night, is an olive press. That's what it means, olive press, I think. And you take the olives and you squeeze them and then the oil comes out. What's coming out is you're being crushed. And let me tell you, I don't enjoy most of the stuff that comes out of me when I'm being crushed. It's horrible. It needs to drive me to the cross. These guys were overjoyed. And I think it was because they had the word of God flowing in them. They weren't basing their reaction upon what the world's scenario was. They were basing it upon what Jesus had taught them, what God had told them the reality truly was. And they were singing. When you're hurting, is it easy to sing? Mm -mm. Pain. When you're in pain, is it easy to pray? It's hard to maintain thought. I tell you what I've learned is that when I'm in pretty darn good pain, God will often bring the people who are in pain around me to mind. And that's a sweet time. Just hanging out at the foot of the cross. And they had joy. They're singing. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, in closing real quickly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Of course, we don't know if this is spiritual or not. My guess is it is. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. What do you know? It's definitely a spiritual thing, isn't it? And the jailer woke up. He was sleeping through the singing. Didn't even have a clue. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Under Roman law, if you let your prisoners escape, you died. So he figured, I'd just do the job right now. But Paul shouted, go ahead. We're out of here. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I am the prisoner. I need to be set free. And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Awesome. Right, Arevalos? Believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved, you and your whole household. 
And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. Do you notice he said, what is the bottom line? You believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Well, what does that mean? And they explained the gospel to him. They explained the cross. We have to be able to go beyond, hey, just believe in Jesus. We have to be able to say, what does that mean? That he took your place, that we're sinners. God's, the Holy Spirit's already working on that. And it's okay if you mumble through it. It's the Lord who opens their heart and translates things. Amen? And all the brothers in his house, and at that hour that night, the jailer took and they washed their wounds. What a transition. So he's one who inflicted wounds, now he's washing wounds. And then immediately he and all the household were baptized. And the jailer, what happens after they're born again? The jailer brought them into his house. <laughs> uh, and set a meal before them, and he was filled with what? Joy. Because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Praise God. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer, and the jailer with the, uh, with the order released those men. And the jailer told Paul, the magistrates, the judges, have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Praise God. They slept on it. Maybe the earthquake caused some other things going on in the city. Who knows? But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. And they threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly. No, let them come themselves out and escort us. Why now is he telling them that he's a Roman citizen? Why didn't he tell them before? He would do that later on. He would tell people, I'm a Roman citizen and avoid beating. But why did he wait? I think God wanted that jailer saved. I think God wanted that jailer saved. There's a lot there. But the officers reported this to the magistrates when they heard Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They were alarmed. The Romans took that very serious. They love to treat everybody else like junk. But if you're a Roman citizen, oh, you know, I mean... They came to appease them and escorted them from prison, requesting them to leave the city. And after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, which seems to be the hub there, where they met with the brothers and sisters. And what did they do? They encouraged them. <laughs> then they left. There's some amazing people in our body. When you sit there and they're going through trials, they've just been beaten up, and all of a sudden you walk away encouraged by them. That's the Lord. That's the Lord. There's so much here. I want you to pray about what's been said today and just seek him. He's so good and he loves you so much. He's put you in a family, opportunities to love one each other deeply, opportunities to die to self and to embrace the cross. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for allowing us to go into a brief overtime here and just getting the very end of this. And we ask, Lord, that you would Bring home these truths as we've been talking, as we've been sharing, as your spirit's been moving, as things have been brought up in people's hearts. Lord, don't let the enemy come in and uh, pluck that word out of their heart to steal that potential fruit, which is what you're longing for, to walk through the garden and enjoy the fruit. Spirit, do the work in your people today. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask that you bring us tight with you every single day.
Give us opportunities, Lord, and those opportunities when we're fearful, Lord, help us to fall on these verses that you open the hearts, that even though we're beaten with rods, you're with us. They're listening when we're hurting, all these things. We lay them down before your throne. Guide your sheep this week. Lead them into your pasture. Keep the wolves away, Lord. Be glorified. In the name of Jesus, amen.